Open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings. We're going to consider today the first three chapters. I'm going to give you some backdrop. In chapter 1, we'll read a short passage and a complimentary section that follows in chapter 2. And then our main attention today will be in 1 Kings chapter 3. And the message is entitled, A Wise and Understanding Heart. As we continue in our series, Great Stories from God's Word. If you were able to ask God for anything that you wanted to ask him for, what would you request? Now, before you answer that too quickly, understand that your answer will reveal your priorities. Your answer will show what is most important to you. We're going to consider today Solomon, who was given that very opportunity, to ask anything that he wanted to ask from God. Now this backdrop that we're considering here is during the days of the united monarchy or the kingdom that was together of Israel and Judah in the days of God's people when they were formulating really into a strong and lasting people but because of their own idolatry and disobedience they ended up falling by the wayside even though God's promises would remain true. The United Kingdom was together during Saul and David and then Solomon. And it was in a time frame that was somewhere around 1050 BC to about 930 BC, just to give you an idea of when it was in history. After the death of Solomon's son Rehoboam around 930 BC, the biblical account reports that the country split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Speaking of the nation of Israel, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that God did not choose them because they were the greatest in number. He chose them because he wanted to make them a special people, and they were to be a light to the nations. And the way that they were to be a light to the nations was through the promise of the Messiah to come. So the significance of this nation was that Jesus the Messiah would come through them, and that he would be raised up as the deliverer of sinners throughout the entire world. First Kings chapter 1 recounts the time when David was coming to the end of his life. His days were winding down. He's getting on in years. And as a result of that, Adonijah tried to take advantage of the situation and raises himself up and positions himself as king. But David's wife, along with Nathan the prophet and some of David's brave soldiers, put that coup down, and David was able to reiterate that no, in fact, his son Solomon was the one who would be king after him. Solomon would be the one who would be anointed and coronated as king over Israel. So when we pick up reading in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is speaking to his son Solomon. And we begin reading in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me, 
If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Now drop down to verse 10. Then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The length of time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingship was firmly established. Solomon was given a charge by his father to be strong and courageous, to walk in the ways of the Lord and to obey the Lord. And his reign in the Bible is presented really in three snapshots or three time frames that are significant. The first is when God granted wisdom to Solomon, which we'll consider here in just a moment. Solomon would in turn then apply that wisdom that God had given to him in a series of decisions that he made. The second would be in the building of the temple and of the palace, a project that would take about 13 years to accomplish. The third would be Solomon carrying out the normal activities of a king. Now, I would like to tell you that even though Solomon was granted wisdom, that his entire life he would walk in it and be faithful to it. But ultimately, because of his own idolatry, consequences came to him as well. Most of the events in 1 Kings chapter 3 and then also in chapter 4 occur during about a four-year time frame during Solomon's rule. So this is a compacted time that we're talking about here. It's kind of a condensed time. David had encountered this significant and continual military challenge. He had had to overcome Philistia and Moab and Ammon and Edom and Syria. And here Solomon is not going to find himself with a military challenge because his father's already won that. What Solomon is going to find himself with is an administrative challenge to organize the commerce and the order of the society and the carrying out of the kingdom. And he's going to need significant wisdom to do that and to do it justly with the people. So we pick up reading again in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Egypt's Pharaoh recognized Solomon's significance in the world. Here he is, a monarch, a king over a significant part of the known world. So in recognition of that, he marries his daughter off to Solomon. And because of that, there would be peace, at least for a while, between Egypt and Israel. And before Solomon, Israel's government had been organized, but yet it was still somewhat less formal than what he would make it. And he had to deal with all those issues that I referenced. And he needed the Lord's wisdom. He needed help to be able to do that. And he needed God's presence in his life. 
So even though these high places of worship were not prescribed by God in the sense that they were acceptable and pleasing to him, they were scattered throughout the land and they were essentially maintained on little rises of the land where the people would go and worship because until that time there was not a temple yet in Jerusalem. And you remember why there was not a temple yet in Jerusalem. David was a man of war and because David was a man of war, God did not permit him to build that temple. The temple would be built by his son Solomon. So here Solomon goes and he goes to offer a sacrifice and to worship the Lord at one of those high places at Gibeon. And he goes to honor God because he recognizes the task that is in front of him. We pick back up reading in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, I ask, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place. Yet I'm just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he held a feast for all his servants. Solomon goes to offer a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And apparently the Lord is pleased with what he does, at least with his motivation. And he asked him that question that I posed to you, As we started this morning, what would you ask God for if you could ask God for anything at all? How you answer that reveals what matters to you. And Solomon revealed what was in his heart. He acknowledges the commandment and the covenant of the Lord that he had made with David. Solomon humbles himself before the Lord and he admits the position that he's in as a position of weakness. He says, I'm just a youth. I have no experience in in leadership. He, He acknowledges the power of God. And here he is in this position with a big responsibility, but not the ability to carry it out on his own. Now, I get it that we're not going to be 
placed in a position of being a monarch or a king. We're not going to be over vast swaths of land and huge numbers of people that we're responsible for. But the significance of what we need from God and what God expects for us to do in our lives for his glory and for his kingdom and for the expansion of his work in the world requires great wisdom. And it requires understanding hearts. So Solomon makes his request to God for an obedient heart and for discernment, for a wise and an understanding heart. And God said, okay. I'll grant it. I will grant it to the degree that there will have been none like you before and there will be none like you after because of the measure of what I will give you. The Lord was pleased with what Solomon had asked for because he did not request a long life. How many of our prayers are are wrapped up in extending our lives? How many of our prayers are caught up with the moment and with our physical health and whether or not we're going to get another week or another year or, or another decade. We're, we're so wrapped up in these things. And that's not what Solomon first prayed for. That's not what he asked God for. He also didn't ask him for the riches of this world. How often do we pray for material comforts, things that we want versus the things that we need? And he also didn't pray for the death or the vengeance on his enemies. And God was pleased. So let's not miss the significance of what's going on here. Yes, we're in a historical moment. Yes, we're dealing with a cultural issue. Yes, we're dealing with a nation that was real with real people and real problems and real structure. But this is a principle that can be overlaid to our own lives as well. If God reveals to us what he is pleased with, then we should learn from it. And we should seek to apply it to our lives as well. When we see in the Bible the idea of wisdom, it's often paired with knowledge. And there is a slight but significant difference between the two. Knowledge is information that is gained through experience and reasoning or by coming into contact with it. We need knowledge. But then what do you do with the knowledge that you get? Well, what you do with the knowledge that you get is you apply it with the wisdom that God will give to you. And wisdom is the ability to discern or to judge what is right and true and lasting. So if I gave you a definition of what I think wisdom is, I believe wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge to the circumstances of life. Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge to the circumstances of life. J.I. Packer said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. Paul Koptok said it this way, knowledge understands the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns about God. Wisdom loves God. So you see, there's a difference, but they go hand in hand. So what I hope that we'll be able to see here together in this passage of Scripture and other supporting passages about wisdom in the Bible are some aspects about wisdom that will help us practically live this out. And the first is this. God is the provider of wisdom. 
God is the provider of wisdom. I'm reminded of when Job was answering the questions of his so-called friends after he had gone through so much. And he begins through kind of a rhetorical exchange to interact with the subject at hand. And he says in Job, Job chapter 28 and verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. So if man does not know its value, and if wisdom as its source is not found in the land of the living, then the question we have to ask is where does wisdom come from? And that's exactly what Job asked. In Job 28 and verse 20, he said, from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? And he goes on to say that the source of wisdom is not in people. It's not in the depths of the sea. It's not found on the earth. Wisdom cannot be purchased with the finest of precious metals or jewels. It's only to be found in God. And I love the way the old preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it. He said, He seems to say that though men should explore the deep places of the earth with all the diligence of miners seeking gold and silver, though they should exert all their mental force as miners use all their muscular vigor, and though they should employ all the machinery within their reach as men do who pierce through the rocks in search of precious treasure, yet it is not within the range of human labor and skill to attain it. It can only be found by a higher and another method It must come by revelation from God, and it does not come from our own efforts. Job concludes with this in his hymn of praise in verse 28. God said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. So God alone is the true source of wisdom. And we can see God's wisdom in his creation. As I read from Psalm 19 this morning, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We can look out and we can see the beauty of God's creation. We can see spring that's just right around the corner and we'll see those trees begin to bud and those flowers begin to bloom and that grass start to get green and we're going to be reminded once again that God is faithful, that it is God who has made all these things. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works, the psalmist said. In wisdom you have made them all and the earth is full of your creatures. It's all come from God and the wisdom of God is reflected. And the beauty and the variety and the splendor of the created order. And in the person and the perfections and the power of an almighty God. All these things are designed to give God glory and praise. But I would say to you today that God's wisdom is preeminently revealed in redemption. And when we read in the Proverbs about wisdom personified. I think in a sense, it's a, an understanding for us of who Jesus is because he's the embodiment of wisdom. That Jesus left the glory of heaven and came to this earth and he manifested the wisdom of God among men. And even though the redemptive plan of God doesn't make sense to sinners, it makes all the sense to the Savior because this is God's eternal plan that he has given on our behalf. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 through 20 says where the apostle Paul is writing. He said, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? So when you see all of this exchange of ideas in the culture and you see so many things that are contrary to God's wisdom, contrary to a biblical worldview, contrary to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you get frustrated with that and and you might even have a little bit of anger well up in your heart because of some of the things that you hear and the things that you see, just remember that this is the foolishness of the world that is on display. This is the wisdom of the world that is something that is going to lead to a dead end. And it is contrary to the wisdom of God. And the reason that people cannot see the wisdom of God and the reason that they cannot encounter the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ is because there's scales over their eyes and their hearts are hardened. And if it were not for God intervening on our behalf, we would not have been able to see the wisdom of God either. And God's wisdom is complete. His wisdom is so deep and so expansive and so complete that he can never increase in wisdom. Now, we want to increase in wisdom. I hope that I'm more wise next year than I am this year. And I hope I'm more wise now than I was last year. And wisdom does not automatically come with age, but for followers of Christ, wisdom should come with age because we're learning from the word. We're learning from our experiences. We're taking these things in and we're always increasing in our understanding of who God is. We're understanding that we're, we're increasing in our understanding of the way the world is and we're carrying out the work of God. That should be our desire. But God does not increase in wisdom. He's already complete in it. Romans chapter 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and had to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we might not be able to fully understand the wisdom of God, but let me give you an assurance here. God is pleased and he is honored when we have faith to trust in his wisdom, even when we don't fully understand it. So it takes a step of faith for us to say, We might not fully be able to comprehend all these things that God has said. We might not be able to fully understand all that God is leading us to do. But we follow him because we trust him. And we build our lives on the foundation of his wisdom. I'm told that the tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It rises some 2,700 feet in the sky. If you can imagine that, it's over a half mile tall. At 160 floors, it is twice as tall as the Empire State Building. If you've been to the Empire State Building, you know what a magnificent building it is. This building is twice as tall. The Burj Khalifa holds the world's highest outdoor observation deck on the 124th floor. Don't look down. It has the highest swimming pool in the world on the 76th floor. But did you know that the secret to the stability of that building is not what you see above the ground? It's what you might not see 
if you didn't know it was there in the foundation. Long before they started to build what you could see above the ground, they began the construction by digging and pouring massive amounts of concrete to support the foundation of the building. 58,900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110,000 tons formed the foundation of this building. And reportedly it's safe because the foundation is solid. If our lives are built on the foundation of God's wisdom, then we will be in a solid place. So you've got to decide, friend, what you're going to build your life on. Are you going to build your life on the rock? The rock that will stand firm? Are you going to build your life on the shifting sands? Are you going to build your life on something that's going to last? And when the storms come and the storms blow and the wind is strong and the clouds are dark and the rain is heavy, your life is going to stand firm? Are you going to build your life on the shifting sands? That when the storm comes, you just get blown away and you get carried along with whatever the circumstances are that you've encountered. God is the provider of wisdom. Second part I want to show you here is that God's people are to pursue wisdom. God's people are to pursue wisdom. Now, as we have already noted, wisdom is the ability to rightly apply knowledge to the circumstances of life. And there's a beautiful promise in James chapter 1 and verse 5 that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So there's a promise in the word of God that if we need wisdom, whether it be for our general life direction or if we need wisdom for a particular moment or decision or circumstance that we have to deal with, that we can pray and we can ask God. And when we pray and we ask God, God will not only give us wisdom, he will give us wisdom generously so that we'll know what to do. Understanding our need for wisdom can put us on a path to pursue wisdom. But you've got to understand the wisdom of the world is very different from the wisdom of God. And if you chase after the wisdom of the world, you're going to end up disappointed. But if you pursue the wisdom of God, you're going to end up satisfied. Just this past week, news broke that dozens of wealthy and famous people had been charged in a widespread college entrance exam cheating scandal. Oh, it was big. These people enlisted the help of a shady college preparatory program to get their children into elite universities through fraudulent means. The FBI called the sting Operation Varsity Blues. Two entrance exam administrators, one exam proctor, nine coaches at top schools, one college administrator, and 33 parents were taken into custody initially. Among these people were CEOs, actors, doctors, lawyers. These are people who should have known better. These are people who in our society are considered to be intelligent. But what they thought they could do is they thought they could do an end run around the system. And by doing an end run around the system, they thought they could circumvent God-given aptitude 
hard work, preparation, and cheat the system to gain something of value. And at the center of this whole scam was a man by the name of William Rick Singer, who owned a fraudulent college entrance exam company called Key, and reportedly took in more than $25 million through his efforts. I say to you, this is a quintessential example of the wisdom of the world. There are no shortcuts to this wisdom. It's only when we seek it from God and we pursue it and we do things the right way that God will bless and honor it. Now, we're given a contrast in James a little bit later on. I already quoted James chapter 1 and verse 5. But over in James chapter 3, there's a contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And he says in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom, listen to this, does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. You understand that there was envy and selfish ambition in that college cheating scandal. They wanted what other people had, but apparently their kids either were not bright enough to get it on their own or were not willing to work for it to get there. So their selfish ambition said, oh, we'll just do an end run and we'll get it the way we want to get it. You see, there's so many circumstances in life where the enemy fools us to think that we can do it our own way and take that shortcut and that selfish ambition leads to disaster. And God says, that's not the way it's supposed to be at all. The wisdom of the world is, is earthly, meaning that it has this life only in view. It is unspiritual, meaning that it is sensual and it has as its object the gratification of passions and desires. It is demonic, James writes, meaning that it is straight evil and it is to be avoided. But then listen to the contrast, beginning in James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So this kind of wisdom is not evil. This kind of wisdom is holy. It's holy because it has come down from heaven to us. It is pure, meaning that it is absent from any sinful attitude or motive. It is peace-loving, meaning that it does not bring conflict. It brings rest. It is gentle. It is unselfish, looking after the needs of other people. It is reasonable, meaning that it is willing to yield and not cause unnecessary disputes. It is merciful in that it forgives others and is concerned about the well-being of others. It is good fruit because it comes from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is unwavering, meaning that it is steady, and it is without pretense, meaning that it is not hypocritical. It is the real deal. That's what wisdom from heaven is. And that's the wisdom that we're to be pursuing. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. He said, accept what I'm saying, and I guide you in the way of wisdom. 
Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So here's the beauty of this. God is the source of wisdom. He's the provider of wisdom. And when we pursue wisdom, what are we doing? We're pursuing God. It goes hand in hand. It works together. Then when we're pursuing God, we're pursuing wisdom. And when we're asking for wisdom and we're pursuing it, we're also drawing closer to God. That's the kind of people we should be. Is a people who are pursuing wisdom for the glory of God. There's one final aspect here that we cannot miss. There will be pain if we ignore wisdom. There will be pain if we ignore wisdom. Now, think back on your life just for a moment. Hope this doesn't dredge up too many bad memories. But I want you to think about a situation that did not go well for you. Maybe you failed miserably at something. You went headlong into a situation that you knew you should, have not, should not have gone into. And after it was all over, you look back at it and you say, you know what? I knew better. Why did I get myself in that situation? You, you saw the warning signs. The, the sign was out. The, 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 the bridge ahead, the sign that said is out. And yet you hit the gas pedal straight toward that decision that you wanted to make. And when you got there, you crashed and you suffered the consequences of it. There's pain when we ignore what we know to do. But the beauty of it is God makes wisdom evident to us if we will only receive it. Not only do we pray for it, but the image that we get in the Proverbs is that wisdom is crying out in the streets and she is raising her voice in the square. This is God's wisdom that comes to us, especially when we're among the people of God and we're in the church of God and we're learning the word of God and we're driven by the spirit of God. It is wisdom that is crying out to us. And that's why it's so important that we be deeply engaged among the people of God so that we're continually being brought to the word of God and we're being led by the spirit of God because that wisdom is crying out to us, calling us to come to the way and to walk in it. And when we walk in it, there'll be life and there'll be blessing. But here's the deal. Sometimes we listen and sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we do what God wants us to do. Other times we do what we want to do. And we ignore the warning signs at our own peril. On March the 10th of 2018, they raised a prefabricated bridge over a busy commuter highway at Florida International University. It spanned some 174 feet as a concrete span. Kevin Hansen was a worker on the site, and he noticed that there were small cracks that were beginning to form in this concrete span. And pretty soon, these small cracks turned into deep fissures. So he took his phone out, and he took a photograph and another photograph, and then he passed those photographs along the chain of command. Three days later, the project's chief engineer reported the cracks to the Department of Transportation, but he said, our team is not concerned about these cracks. In the end, nobody gave an order to close down the bridge, to close down the 
roadway. Five days later, that concrete span came crashing down. Hanson was standing on the top. He and the other workers had been installing steel rods to try to shore up the situation to no avail. And when the bridge collapsed, five people in the cars below were killed instantly, along with his co-worker, Navarro Brown, who had been standing on the bridge. Hansen survived, but barely. Here's my point. If you do not act on what you know to be right, and you ignore wisdom, you will endanger yourself spiritually and potentially physically and ultimately eternally. And you might bring other people along with you. There might be consequences that follow because of it. It's not worth it to ignore the wisdom of God. It's not worth it to hear the cry of the world. Come over here on the Broadway. Let's let's live on the Broadway because there's pleasure to be had over here. There's satisfaction to be had over here. There's worldly treasures to be had over here. There's all these things that look so good. And all along, Jesus is crying out, over here is the narrow way. Walk in it. And if you ignore that narrow way and you walk on the Broadway, the Bible says that the Broadway leads to destruction. But the narrow way leads to life. So God is calling you to the path that will be for your good and for his glory. Listen to what God is saying. And be blessed as a result of it. Now I want to show you, before I close, some principles for application in applying wisdom to your life. And I'm going to give you these very quickly. The first is this. You've got to learn to trust in God. That sounds so simple, but that's not a religious platitude. That is the heart of the faith, that it is trust in God. It is saying, God, I believe that you are the creator and the redeemer and the sustainer. I believe that you have told me the truth in your word. I believe that you always lead me consistently by your spirit, and I want to trust you. Even if I don't fully understand it, I believe that you see the end as well as the beginning and everything in between. Trust God. Build up your faith in him. Not only trust God, but depend on God to lead. You might have an inherent trust in God and a circumstance of life comes up and you're weighing out the options and you're looking at the pros and the cons and you're trying to figure out what to do. And God's telling you that's the path you're supposed to be walking on. And you're saying that you trust God because you've trusted in him for salvation, but you've also got to trust in him for life. And if he shows you the path, you've got to be willing to take it. And go where he says to go and do what he says to do. And along the way, study the word of God and follow the Holy Spirit. Your life will be transformed. So much truth in this book that God has given us because it reflects his character. It's all true. And the Holy Spirit will lead you perfectly consistent with what God has said. And then learn from your experiences. If you do something once, it could be because you had a lack of information or you were led astray. It, it might have been an honest mistake. But if you know what the problem was and you do it again, that's just plain dumb. 
That's not wise. Don't repeat it. Learn from your experiences. And then listen to the counsel of other people whose faith is also in God. Because if their faith is in God and, and, and they're trying and they're, they want to love the Lord and live for the Lord and they want to follow him. When you're in a community like that, we can encourage one another and we'll be able to say to our brother or sister in Christ, hey, let me tell you what happened to me when I did that. Or let, let me point out this area to you that might not be as helpful. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors as long as it's the right counselors, as long as their faith is also in God. I close with this story. For more than 30 years, Archaeologist Howard Carter searched the deserts of Egypt for something that most people thought no longer existed, the tomb of King Tut. Most experts believed that everything in the Valley of the Kings had already been discovered. But Carter was undeterred and he continued his search. Eventually, after five more years without result, his sponsor in England declared that they would stop funding any further search for these treasures. In November of 1922, during his final season of work, Carter uncovered a hidden staircase near the tomb of Ramses VI. He sent a cable to England which said, at last have made wonderful discovery in Valley, a magnificent tomb with seals intact. He had indeed located the tomb of King Tut. One of the greatest archaeological discoveries that's ever been made. After months of work, the golden treasures of the tomb were cataloged and the first intact royal mummy ever removed from the place where it had rested was now in his possession. Carter's search was driven by his firm belief that there was treasure to be found, though he could not be certain that he was correct. Now let's make a spiritual application of this. Unlike Carter... We have the guaranteed result of success and reward if we seek and follow after the wisdom of God. And the certainty of the promise is that if we receive God's word and we cry out for it and we seek it as treasure hunters do precious metals, we will most surely find what we seek. And I want you to notice the the back part of the story that we read in 1 Kings chapter 3 is that God blessed him with riches and honor for walking in his ways and blessings and eternal matters will come our way if we seek to do things the way God has said to do them. He knows best. Solomon, after he got off on his tangent of life, seeking after the things of the world, wrote this. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. Now listen to what verse 14 says. Don't miss this. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. We'll all stand accountable one day before a holy God. And we'll either be there in his presence, redeemed because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who overcame the grave, who forgives our sins, who reconciles us to God, 
and we will be there on the basis of his righteousness. And hopefully we will have lived according to that righteousness and his wisdom. Or we'll be there in judgment. And we're without Christ. We'll be forever separated from him. So this closing has two parts. First, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, the message is very clear to you. Walk in the wisdom of God. Pray for it. Seek it. Pursue God as you do it. And if you don't know the Lord, you've not been saved, you're not forgiven of your sins, salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. And the wisest thing you could possibly do this day is say yes to Jesus. And he'll forever transform your life if you'll trust him. He's the embodiment of wisdom. And you should not ignore him. If you do so, it'll be at your own peril. Father, thank you for the time we've had together today in your word. I'm amazed at this account of Solomon and our prayer might be consistent with his, that we would say, Lord, give us wise and understanding hearts to honor you, to know you, to follow you with all our days. Father, there may be somebody in this room right now or might even listen to this message later on who's dealing with a significant life decision. Not sure which way to turn or which way to go. I pray that they would cry out to you for wisdom and that in that wisdom you would give peace and you would give clear direction and confirmation of what you want them to do. That their heart's desire would be to bring glory to you and to uplift your name and that everything else would flow behind that. Father, maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't know Christ, who's never said yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray in these closing moments, they'd not wait another second, but they would come to faith in him and begin to follow him with their lives. We give this time of response and invitation over to you, Lord. Any good that comes from it, we'll give you the credit, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.